Today we return to our study where Jesus prays for his disciples, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll be back to finish our study of this chapter by looking at how Jesus prays for the church. So John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19, let us hear the prayer of our Savior Jesus Christ. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Robert Murray McShane was a pastor in the Church of Scotland in the 19th century, and he said this, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. But distance makes no difference. Christ is praying for me. Eric Raymond, a pastor in Boston today, on the thought that Jesus prays for us, says this, How can these blessed realities but drive us close to the Savior, even to his chest like the Apostle John? Jesus is more committed to his sheep than his sheep are to him. We lag and linger, but he is praying while we slumber. The truth of Jesus' ceaseless, fervent, impassioned, hearty, And successful intercession on my behalf calibrates my heart afresh to the glories of Christ. I pray today that the truth in this prayer will calibrate your wayward heart afresh to the glories of Christ and drive you close to the Savior. Terrible things are happening in the world today. There may be awful things happening in your life, or in the lives of those you love. And what Jesus prays will center our lives in the truth, can give us the help we need in this world of trouble, the comfort that we long for, the peace that does indeed pass all understanding. Here's the big idea or the summary of this section of Jesus' prayer this morning. God the Father and Jesus the Son Guard and protect their own, set them apart for holiness, and send them out for mission. God the Father and Jesus the Son, the God who made the world and everything in it, 
the Lord of heaven and earth, who does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This God. God the Father and Jesus the Son, the Most High, who lives forever who does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to him, what have you done? None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This God, God the Father and Jesus the Son, the Son of Man to whom was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This God, God the Father, and Jesus the Son, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come, the one who made the heaven and earth. It's by his will that they existed and were created the one who is worthy to receive all glory and honor and power, this God. Beloved, I want you to beware of who it is we are talking about, the one who does all the good things that we will look at this morning. Don't let it be lost on you who this God is. Be in awe of his glory and his splendor and his majesty and his power and his love and his goodness this morning. God the Father and Jesus the Son guard and protect their own. Set them apart for holiness and send them out for mission. Amen? Amen. Shall we just have the benediction now? We could be done and just meditate on that. God the Father, Jesus the Son, our Creator, our King, our Savior, they are united in their desire and their determination to guard and protect all their own, to set them apart for holiness, to send them out for mission. This has happened. It is happening. The prayer of Jesus will not be denied. So take heart this morning, beloved. Two questions will help us meditate on these incredible, life-changing, comforting truths today. Only two questions, not three, so it must be a short sermon, right? Who does Jesus pray for, and what does Jesus pray for them? So first, who does Jesus pray for, verses 6 through 11? Jesus prays for those who are given to him by the Father, for those who who have kept his word, and for the ones in whom he is glorified. Verse 20 begins the third section of Jesus' prayer. We'll see that next week. But there Jesus says this, I do not ask for these only. These only. That's a reference to the 11 disciples who were standing there with him, who were hearing him pray this with their own ears. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that distinction helps us understand that the passage we're looking at today is Jesus' prayer for his original 11 disciples, the ones who were with him at the time. But the truths that he proclaims in his prayer are true for all of his people, for all time. And so Jesus begins by praying for those who belong to the Father. Beloved, you belong to the Father. 
you were given by the Father to Jesus. And so you are a gift from God to the Son. We often think of Jesus as God's gift to us, and he is. An incredible, tremendous, wonderful gift. But we also are God's gift to Jesus. Look at how many times Jesus mentions this astounding truth. Verse 6, I've manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10, all mine are yours, and yours are mine. So the first truth in this section of Jesus' prayer that can serve to calibrate your heart afresh to the glory of Christ is this. Beloved, you belong to the Father. You were given from the Father to Jesus, and so you are a gift from God to the Son. This gift from God the Father to Jesus the Son is not rooted in anything intrinsic to you yourself. It's not because of who you are or anything that you have done or will do. In fact, you and I, we were all part of the wicked world. Verse 6, Jesus said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So you and I, we were of the world, this mass of fallen sinful humanity that has rejected Jesus. But the Father chose you out of the world and gave you to the Son. And so Jesus prays in verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. And then twice he says in verse 14 and 16, they are not of the world. So now you belong to Jesus. You are associated, united with Christ. There is a distinction between those who are given by the Father to the Son and the world. Jesus prays for one and not the other. And you belong to one and not the other. Yes, God loves the world. Yes, he gave his son because he so loved the world. And at the same time, God has a covenant love reserved for his people, those whom he gave to the son. Now we, as humans, we can be very possessive, very protective of the things that belong to us, right? It's, we... It seems like this is born within us from the time we are young. Children, one of the first words they learn is mine, mine. And, and their little hands can grip so strong around the things that they believe belong to them. And if you take that out of their hand, you know how upset they may get. Parents can be very protective of their children. Everyone knows you're not supposed to get between a mama bear and her cubs. And when one of our cats had kittens, it was very touching, even for me, a non-cat lover, I'll admit, to see how she cared for her own, how vigilant she was to guard and protect them anytime anyone or anything would get anywhere near them. She was on high alert. But any example that we can think of in creation falls far short of the love and the care and the protection that God the Father and Jesus the Son have for their own, for you, 
Jesus gave his life for your eternal salvation. When you know this, when you believe this, when you live in this truth, you rest in this truth, then you can have the joy and the peace that God gives even in the midst of the trials of this life. On September 12th, we begin a Sunday school class on parenting. And I would encourage all of you adults to consider participating, even if you do not have children of your own, or maybe they're grown and out of the house, or maybe you're not even yet married. Remember whenever we have a covenant infant baptism, we ask questions of the parents, and then we turn and and we ask a question and vow of the congregation. Do you promise to support the parents and the Christian nurture of this child? Well, this class is one way that you can do that, to get to know these parents and these children, to pray for them and encourage them. And parents, I want to encourage you for a moment. Because this first truth, that you belong to the Father, given by the Father to the Son, it's not only true of you, it's true of your children as well. It's true of your children as well. Remember that and let that shape your prayers for your children. Lord, they are yours. They are not mine. They are yours. You know, handing our children over to God when, when they're infants, when they're young, when we still have some semblance of control over their lives, what they do, where they go, it's, it's not quite the same as entrusting them to God's care maybe when they're learning to drive or they're starting to make their own life-changing decisions or when they're leaving the nest. But the way to live in peace in light of this truth is to say, Lord, This child is yours. This boy, this girl belongs to you. And your love for him is more perfect and pure than my own. And the power of your word and your spirit is still at work. And it's not hindered by my fear or my faithlessness. So be encouraged, Parents, beloved, Jesus prays for us and for our children. They do not belong to us. They belong to him. Jesus prays for those who belong to him, and he prays for those who have kept his word. Verse 6, I've manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus is praying for his disciples. Do you find this surprising? They've kept your word? Now wait, haven't we heard Jesus often rebuke them? Their failure to understand, their arguments about who would be the greatest. Aren't they about to all, every one of them, desert him on this very night? Yes, indeed they would. And so they would not always obey. They did not always obey. But what does Jesus say? They have kept your word. Beloved, I find this so encouraging for my so often divided heart and disobedient life. When you trust in Jesus, your sin does not define you. And it does not determine your destiny. You are not the sum of your mistakes. Your worst moments do not get you canceled with Jesus. It cannot happen. It will not happen. Your shame and your guilt, where have they gone? They have gone on Christ, on the cross. 
He paid it all so you are forgiven and free and righteous in his sight. Holy in his sight. They have kept your word. Now what does he mean? How did they do this? How did they keep God's word? Well, Jesus goes on to say in verse 7, I've given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. So they kept God's word by believing the truth about Jesus. And beloved, God has granted us that same faith to believe the truth about Jesus, to keep his word. So Jesus prays for those who've kept his word, and he also prays for the ones who glorify him. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Beloved, Jesus is glorified in your life, in the lives of all of his people. So once again, be encouraged. God is at work. Give him thanks. Give him glory. And may we put on that shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, the accuser. He will whisper in your ear or shout in your ear all day long. God is not glorified in your life. You are such a great sinner, good for nothing. How can you call yourself a Christian? God couldn't possibly love you. He doesn't want you. Those are lies. From the father of lies, from the pit of hell. Believe what God says, what Jesus says. Praise, know the truth, and let the truth set you free. Jesus says, I am glorified in them. These men were sinners. They were men like you and me. They got it wrong often. But Jesus has not rehearsed their failures in his prayer. Instead, he tells God the Father, I am glorified in them. Beloved, live in this truth. Trust the word of Jesus. Let your heart Be calibrated afresh today to the glory of a Savior who gives you a new identity. He makes you a new creation. He takes your sin and covers you with his righteousness. And so we can go forth and we can pray, Father, thank you. And Father, be glorified in my life. Bear much fruit in my life. Help me to obey your word. Jesus prays for those who are given to him by the Father. He prays for the ones who've kept his word, and he prays for those in whom he is glorified. Now, second question, what does Jesus pray for? There are three requests in verses 11 through 19. The first in verse 11 is this, keep them in your name. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Now, what is Jesus asking? I believe that he is asking that what God would keep them and keep us in his family, that God would be our God, that we would be his people forever. And one way that Jesus brings this out in his prayer is by the contrast that he makes in verse 12, where he says, I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That phrase, son of destruction, refers to Judas, who betrayed him. That phrase is an idiom from one who is appointed for destruction. So Jesus knew beforehand that Judas would be lost, that he would betray him. All along, Jesus knew this was foreseen by the scriptures, and this was no failure on Jesus' part. In the world's eyes, it looked like one of Jesus' followers was lost. But in reality, Judas was never in God's name. 
He was never truly born again. And Jesus here prays for his true disciples. Those that God gave him out of the world. Those that his, his heavenly holy father would keep in his name. That he would indeed keep them in his family. Now we might ask, does Jesus really need to pray this? Hasn't God already promised to do this? And yes, indeed he has. And we have seen this often throughout the gospel of John. We saw in John chapter 10, one example where Jesus gives us eternal life and we will never perish. And the Father himself has given them to Jesus. He's greater than all and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. So we know that this is a guarantee, a promise that God will keep. But Jesus, Jesus here models for us a way to pray. He teaches us how to pray. Beloved, we can pray God's words, pray his promises back to him. Not only does God love to hear his words, but this will strengthen your faith. It will remind you of what is true, of what God has said that he will do. And we also learn that Jesus cares not only for our security, but for our serenity, our peace. Because Jesus prayed this prayer knowing that his disciples were hearing him as he prayed. He was intentional about the words that he said. Remember that quote from Robert Murray McShane at the beginning. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. So, beloved, hear Jesus praying for you. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And then he says this, I have guarded them. I have kept them in your name. So hear Jesus pray and know, know the truth. You are kept, you are guarded by both the Father and the Son. You could not be more secure. It is not possible. God will keep all his children in his name. Next, Jesus prays that God will keep them from the evil one. Verse 14, I've given you, I have given them your word, And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The dangers that Jesus prays against, they are real and they are urgent. The evil one is a reference to Satan. And earlier I said, let's know who this God is. Well, we also ought to know who our enemy is. He is a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar and the father of lies. And he does not rest either. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we cannot stand against him on our own. But we are never alone. And we have the power of Almighty God. God the Father, Jesus the Son, guarding us, protecting us, praying for us. But know, beloved, that the world killed Jesus. The world hates those who love him. Our experience as Christians here in America is the exception. It's not the norm for followers of Christ. Now, we have begun to pray for believers every week here in our gathered worship service, believers around the world. And you may have noticed that this prayer nearly always includes protection from evil and persecution. 
and Jimmy as he already prayed for Afghanistan. Later again, we'll do that in our pastoral prayer. That right now as we enjoy this air-conditioned room and we meet together in safety to hear the word of God proclaim, we have brothers and sisters who face the very real, present, evil danger of death. But I would say most of us have lived our entire lives in relative ease and comfort when it comes to suffering for our faith in Christ. Believers all over the world are persecuted. They are imprisoned. They are put to death. They have their children taken away. Does this mean that Jesus' prayer is not answered? Does this mean that the evil one wins? No. No, it does not. In fact, when suffering and persecution came for these disciples, you read the book of Acts, the unstoppable gospel on the move through these weak and sinful men because of the power of the Holy Spirit within them. You read when they began to suffer persecution and suffering, how did they respond? Amen. They didn't despair. They didn't think, wait a minute, what's happening? Jesus, didn't you pray for us? Is the evil one winning? No. They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. And nearly every one of them was put to death for their faith. So did God keep them from the evil one? Yes, he did. How? How can we believe that? How can we say that? We believe it. We say it because Jesus died and rose again. Because even though they died, they live. They were faithful to the end. And now they rest from their labors and their works to follow them. And now they are God's people. Enjoying God's presence in God's kingdom forever where suffering and death and evil and the evil one are no more. They cannot touch them forever. God keep them from the evil one. One of the ways that God answers that prayer is by bringing us into his glorious presence. And none of us will regret that moment for a split second. Beloved, there are worse things than suffering and dying. Because Jesus died and rose again, those who trust in him have been delivered from the sting of death. Yes, death is an awful enemy, but it's no longer to be feared for the child of God. It is our entrance into glory. So what is worse than suffering and death? Being a son of destruction is worse. Being of the world is worse. Not responding to the gospel with repentance and faith. Not believing Jesus. Not obeying God. Not glorifying Jesus. There are worse things than suffering and death. And so this brings us to the last request that Jesus has for his disciples. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify is to be set apart to be reserved for God. So if you've been a part of our church and you've, you've witnessed a baptism here, then you, you usually would hear me say something like, if you've been baptized, remember your baptism. Why do I say that? What does that mean? 
Well, baptism, we receive that sign of the covenant that we belong to God. He's put his seal upon us. And I'm encouraging you to remember whose you are. Remember who you belong to. God's people have been called out of the world to be set apart for God. We are now set apart for God's purposes alone. So we want to do only what God wants. And we hate all that God hates. We are sanctified, set apart. God does this work in his people through his word. The word incarnate, Jesus Christ the Son, and the word written. This precious gift we have from God. This is the word of God. The word of God. The world we live in is filled with lies. Satan is the father of lies. Beloved, Jesus wants your mind to be filled with the truth. And that truth is the word of God. Is your mind filled with it? Are you engaging with it to help you be set apart for the God who made you and loves you and gave himself for you? Jesus ends this section of his prayer in verse 18 and 19. He says, Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake... I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus consecrated himself. He set himself apart to be and to do exactly what the Father assigned him. To be put to death by those who hated him. To suffer and die for the sins of his people. Those 11 disciples and us today and all his people from all over the world throughout the history of the world. Jesus has done this for us, and now we are called and sent to be set apart for him. So I ask you today, for his sake, do you consecrate yourself? We hear the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. And therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And beloved, this is the response of the redeemed. It's the response of the redeemed. This is what those who are kept in God's name do by the power of the Spirit working in us. Back to Isaiah 6, our our passage for our call to confession, our assurance this morning. That great glorious vision. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, how did he respond when his heart was calibrated afresh with a clear vision of the holiness of God? His first response was repentance. Woe is me. He saw the truth of who God was and the truth of his own sinful heart. But then how did he respond when his heart was once again calibrated afresh with the wonder of the atonement? The forgiveness of his sins that this holy God had forgiven him. God asked, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah jumped at the chance to serve his Savior. He couldn't speak up fast enough. Here I am. Send me. Beloved, Jesus gave his life to atone for our sin. And so now we, his people, whom he loves who are guarded by him and the Father. We're we're kept and guarded by both the Father and the Son. We are now set apart for holiness, and we are sent out 
for mission. And so, what will we do? We will go where he sends us. We will do what he commands us. We will be who he made us to be. And we'll do this with his joy fulfilled in us. And we'll do it together as one people, united in Christ, of one heart and mind. Saying with our dear brother, the Apostle Paul, who is in his presence right now, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. Amen.